0: Hey, can you hear me okay?
1: Oh yeah, you're the clearest of all of us. Wow, look at that. Seriously, do you have like fancy Twitter mic? Why do you sound so clear?
0: This is gonna tie right into our conversation. I'm using an old, yeah, old pair of Apple wired earbuds.
2: The Verge just did a a recap of like all the wireless earbuds and they're like, nothing tops the, the old school lightning wired mic. But again, we're getting into it, David take us off brother
1: okay thanks for joining us i'm david sasaki co-host of the 12 inquiries project along with my dear friend luis here and this is our third inquiry into the project the first inquiry that we did we looked at the past and the future of twitter last month we looked at the past and the future of masculinity and today we're going to talk about nostalgia how it affects our relationship with technology how we experience the passing of time itself. So there's a real looking back, looking forward theme to the 12 inquiries so far. We're joined today by Sarah Watson, who is a technology critic based in New York, who wrote an essay I love that tries to pin down what do we mean when we use the word technology and also what is the role of of a technology critic. And Grafton Tanner, who is an academic and the author of a number of books, most recently, The Hours Have Lost Their Clock, The Politics of Nostalgia, thought-provoking framework to think about nostalgia. So I'm looking forward to diving in. I'm gonna ask each of you, Sarah and Grafton, to introduce yourselves however you would like. And to kick things off, will you share with us one or two technologies from say, I don't know, the past 10, 20, 30 years ago that you find yourself nostalgic for today? Sarah, why don't we start off with you?
3: Sure, I love that prompt, and I'm so excited to to jump into this. So, as you said, I am a technology critic. I am also an industry analyst. So, I got my start actually at Liberty Mutual in the office of the IT uh, CIO. And so, you know, I've I've been looking simultaneously at the kind of media studies, film studies, English side of things, and the the relationship of technology to culture. And then I've also kind of been looking at it from this industry perspective. And that's also happens to be the jumping off point for one of the technologies that I am most nostalgic for recently. So I've been playing around with mechanical keyboards. I know a lot of people have been. I think The Verge had a a post about how it was like mainstream that mechanical keyboards are. Yeah. Oh, I hear it. I hear it. I know. I should. Oh my God. This
1: is the, this is the thing I tell it like. Everyone else should keep their mute off, and we can speak and have a normal conversation. And then Luis is just the most aggressive mechanical keyboard typist
3: <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I want to know what switches you have, and no, brown. But so, okay, okay. So I I jumped back into the ke- kind of mechanical keyboard thing. It was actually less about the the trendiness aspect of it, and more about like deeply, deeply about a nostalgic interest in it. Because it drove me straight back to, like, learning to type on a Mac 2e in the computer classroom and spending all the time on the typing typing program and then getting to play Oregon Trail on a, like, you ah. know, green, sc- green screen. And there was something very, like, tactile and joyful and playful about these devices and, and you know, these tools that were the realm of adults. It started from this like deep interest in getting back in touch with like the tactile computing joy of, of what these devices meant to me at this kind of very early stage. And yeah, I think it gets back to a very static feelings in the body moment of like, how does, this, how does this feel to like remind myself of what it means to, to engage with technology?
1: I love that. And already touches on a few things that Luis and I have been talking about in terms of how we experience this, both in the mind and in the body with technologies of the past. Grafton, what about you? Why don't you introduce yourself and share a technology or two that you're nostalgic for?
0: Well, thank you again for having me on to talk about two of my favorite things, technology and nostalgia. I am a a writer and a professor at the University of Georgia. My last book was called The Hours Have Lost Their Clock. And it's sort of a broad exploration and history of nostalgia over, you know, the past three hundred years. I've been thinking about this this question about technologies that I'm nostalgic for. I just recently purchased a very cheap, decently made Game Boy emulator. I mainly got it to play like Pokemon games on it, Pokemon hacks, basically, hacked versions of some of the original generation one and two video games and I I got that because yeah I think I felt a kind of nostalgia for my you know like my Game Boy or my Game Boy Advance which I would say is probably other than my smartphone the only other like portable handheld device that i had like a like i logged a lot of hours with i'm also a little nostalgic for i've really missed cable television <laughs> I, wow, find I did a, not
1: expect that one
0: yeah i i think i grew up in a in a time when i had like a thousand channels or something at one time on tv growing up and you know i have like hulu live and i have like maybe 50 and they're all playing the same thing it's some variation on like a marvel movie or a star wars movie or something when I'm i'm i kind of miss the days when you could scroll through the the weird channels in like the 300s and mm. come across some very niche odd show that maybe shouldn't have made it on cable tv but then it did i was
3: thinking recently how much i missed growing up with ifc as a channel and like how mm. many weird movies i was exposed to and how that like formatively led me towards film studies as, as a kid
0: right yeah mm-hmm. and all these like Gear TV or something, and it was all these weird, like cars and strange pieces of technology, very niche content. Cable
1: television was kind of the on ramp to the atomization of
0: culture. No, now you know, we each have our
1: algorithms pointing us to a particular media environment or, or, or experience. Going from the big three or the big four network TV stations to IFC is my my cable channel and
2: I'm going to bond with other people about that. I hadn't really thought about that. It's kind of like a transition Mm -hmm. period. It's actually a really good on ramp for something we mentioned on the episode of the podcast, which was this idea of the communal experience, right? Because Mm -hmm. you, you know, whatever Seinfeld at 8 PM on a, on a Thursday or friends or whatever, whatever your, your, your niche was, there was that shared experience of having watched it at the same time on the same day, because otherwise you missed it, you know, or, or looking forward to those marathons where, you know, the even the sci-fi channel in the in the early knots would rebroadcast Star Trek Deep Space Nine and that, that was like a thing that I could look forward to because I didn't own them. You know, you didn't have personal copies or instant access to these shows that we cared about.
3: That kind of leads me to this theme that comes up in a lot of what interests me about tech nostalgia is the transition periods of introducing new technologies, how new technologies use old technologies to kind of introduce themselves to you so that you understand how to use them. you know even looking at Twitter spaces you know we have this red record button that looks basically like any previous interface of how we understand recording and so I, I think there's a, a lot of ways in which technology throughout history have leaned on the previous format to help you understand how to experience this. And so the the most kind of explicit one that comes to mind is, you know, the proscenium arch of the theater being a part of the movie going experience, right? Like not only are mm. you potentially converting physical spaces to be repurposed in an, in a way to, you know, use a screen. A re- screen replaces the screen, excuse me. A screen replaces the stage, but you're also kind of, you know, new movie theaters are still kind of using the curtains, right?
1: I have so many follow-up questions for both of you based on those responses, but let's anchor this a little bit in, in definitions before we get sure. into the practical applications. So maybe Grafton, I'll start with you. What are the various forms of nostalgia? And one that I'd like you to touch on is ironic nostalgia. There's a distinction that comes mm-hmm. to my mind between someone who has lived experience with a thing. When you give your first examples of technologies that you're nostalgic for, you have memories with those technologies growing up. But there's another type of nostalgia where someone who, you know, I I think about young 20-something watching Stranger Things, and there's a nostalgia for the 1980s, even though that person hasn't it. So can you walk us through a little bit about what do we mean when we say
0: nostalgia? That's a really good question. We're talking about an emotion that, yes, didn't show up as a word or as a description until the late 1600s. But we are ultimately talking about a human emotion like anger or like happiness or sadness or jealousy even. The reason why the word doesn't show up until 1688 is because you have this 19-year-old medical student who wrote a dissertation in 1688 about a disease that he had heard about affecting some Swiss mercenaries who were moving from their homes in the Alps down to the lowlands of Europe and fighting in wars and, and exhibiting these intense symptoms of homesickness. And it was believed that they were dying from, from, from this kind of pathological homesickness. And so, so basically the interesting thing about the emotion is that it wasn't an emotion. It was first a disease. So it was immediately medicalized. And then just recently, really, it starts to become kind of decoupled from, its from its medicalization and becomes something more like a, you know, like a lot of things, some a consumable product, something that then can be, you know, employed in in arts and entertainment.
1: Yeah. Sarah, let me transition over to you. I mean, I'm I'm so curious if, you know, when Ned Ludd and the Luddites, when he was like destroying the machines back in the late 18th century, if they were talking about nostalgia, if they were applying this definition of homesickness to the way that we experience our relationship with technology, I kind of doubt it, but I would love it if they did. But walk us through a little bit about how you define technology and how you apply the concept of nostalgia to it?
3: Well, first, I just want to jump on on the kind of reflection on the Luddites and whether or not they felt homesickness, because I think that's a really interesting question. Because I think there's a chance that, you know, the labor aspect of the technological change was a feeling of homesickness for a different economic structure where the kind of individuals were closer to literally their home, literally the ground before an industrial revolution that like they were a part of and then they were getting cut out of. I certainly think there's a good chance that nostalgia was definitely in that moment. Whether or not they felt it as they're smashing looms or not is a different question. I think, you know, technologies have always been about the extension of human capabilities, right? So it's about the tools that we think with, the devices that allow us to shape the world around us. You know, Ursula Franklin has a really fantastic definition of technology that talks about, you know, it's not just the artifacts, it's not just the gears, it's the whole system, right? Like it's the the material components, but it's also the ways in which we interact with them in our everyday lives and and how we actually use and apply the technologies. I think that kind of gets us back to this, this understanding of the nostalgia being physical being embodied and touches on kind of everyday lived experience.
2: I'm curious if either of you or any of our listeners have had any experience with taking that that longing, that feeling of nostalgia, and channeling it towards something that has been a net positive, right? Whether that's the curiosity of exploring something in the past and there for discovering something new? It's a broad question, but I'm curious if either of you have felt like you've managed to pull that off or have advice on on what to do with nostalgia. Because on occasion, it can feel kind of heavy. It can feel like a dense feeling
0: to hold on to. Nostalgia has kind of a bad rap because it's been used pretty horribly. And Trump, of course, wasn't the first one to like use nostalgia in a way to you know, galvanize right-wing support and, and then therefore whitewash the past or say like you know we we have to get back to this imagined period in history when you know there was kind of a white normative male elite that sort of ran the world or whatever so instead of asking like whether nostalgia is like good or bad I think it's important to ask you know is it the right time to feel nostalgic right now or perhaps is there another emotion that we should be thinking about and feeling? And we look at politics of the past few election cycles, at least in the United States, where it's like not always the best thing to be talking about the good old days when we're staring into a future that's pretty scary, you know in terms of climate and, and economics. I, I'm going to hop in there because
2: I think it, it gives us a really interesting framing in terms of nostalgia, not just as an emotion that we feel or something we long for, but also potentially as a distractor. Sometimes something we lean we lean into ourselves because we're longing for a distraction from the present. And I want to give Scott, if you if you want to hop in on this
4: specifically, please do so right now. I feel intrusive to hop in. I was, I was no, a happy no, no. listener there. From the I'm I'm kind of laughing in mid fifties. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> as as a... <laughs> No, so good, It's something my partner and I talk about quite a lot. was a futurist with an economic history degree. I have many conflicting thoughts here. Mm-hmm. It just leaves me in a kind of spin cycle in the present permanently. I got into the technology field by researching the French minitel system as while it was still active in the late 80s, early 90s, and I went back to it in the past few years, in part to kind of dip back into what, where I left off. Part of it is kind of exploring a, you know, a technology for public good, which <laughs> I think is hard to be nostalgic for because it's hardly ever existed in the U.S. and in many other parts of the world. But you know, you're talking about a, t- a system that was built, you know, in part with kind of like national sovereignty in mind, with public benefit in mind, and lots of other things. And it's an interesting kind of exploration of alternate histories and and what could have been given different business dynamics definitely mm. sarah do you want to chime in
2: here and, and pat will we'll let you hop in right after that
3: sure well I, I love that and i think scott the thing that really jumped out to me is the imagining alternative business models aspect of the <laughs> minitel that's i think that's we're in a moment of really unpacking and, and imagining alternative business models for the internet and i think there's a lot of productivity or productive use of nostalgia in that reimagining alternative futures. And so that's kind of where my own personal use of nostalgia and technology comes in. You know, talking about what nostalgia can do as an emotion, like there was so much joy in memepool.com in kind of enjoying like something like RealUltimatePower.net. You know the possibilities. What's been foreclosed in the in the meantime, but revisiting those opportunities, those kind of foreclosed futures, and kind of getting back in touch with like what would it mean if we went backwards and and revisited where those things failed or where where they kind of got off the rails as as a as a productive future imagining.
2: There's a really beautiful mental image that popped into my head with just the the thought of, of nostalgia as a way to untangle something, Mm. whether it's our own experience, our own biographies, even as a sort of lantern that lets you kind of walk through the, through the cave of your past and and start looking at things. I think that's a really beautiful image. We're running on the, on the time limit here on an hour but i want to give pat a quick chance to hop in thank you for 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 choosing to chime in here
5: hi i just want to bring something to your discussion which is really something that became an antidote to tech nostalgia for me which was a slide that i remember doing in a presentation a couple of years ago and on one side of the slide was a series of artifacts that had been discovered in orkney in a neolithic site called Scarabray. And I think these, this is about five, somewhere between five and 10,000 years in the past. And they found these objects that they, they can't figure out whether they're toys, they can't figure out whether they're sex toys, they can't figure out whether they're religious objects. But I laid them out, the whole variety of these discovered objects. And then on the right hand side, I laid out a variety of mobile devices that were available across various platforms, whether they were nunchucks or unfolding iPhones or various handheld devices. And the pattern match between the 10,000-year-old mysterious handheld networked portals on one side and the o of networked portal devices on the other side was striking and remarkable. So um, it's interesting, tech nostalgia for me has been superseded by a kind of pretty old-fashioned McLuhan-esque extensions of man and woman anthropology of technology. I can't think of anything I have more of a kind of semi-religious relationship with than than a phone that brings me a conversation out of nowhere in the middle of a London street straight into your Mm. scholarly space. Mm. Mm. So it's not so much for me techno nostalgia as a kind of techno... Fundamental relationship between humans and and techne, as the Greeks would put it, that, that is mm-hmm. interesting to me. But I hope that's not too tangential to your conversation. No, but it, really, on the it really struck me. You know, yeah,
2: I, I love it. It it, it actually, uh, I'd like to kind of close out on that idea because it it, it really is about people in the end, right? Technology mm. as as a thing that lets us connect with both other people and other. Other human beings experiences through the various platforms and things that it enables and I think that's a really generous way of looking at it. I want to thank everyone I really, we could easily go another another hour and I'm sure that there's going to be a 1000 conversations and and questions that, that come up in our heads as we as we wrap this up and go through our days. I'd like to urge everyone: if you think of anything cool, please comment in the the thread of this uh, this Twitter space. And uh, David, do you want to share any thoughts before we close out? And just one very brief reflection. I mean, Pat, I
1: think you touching on our nostalgia for our pre-agricultural ancestors is kind of like the ultimate techno nostalgia, and I think there's a lot more of it, <laughs> and it's it's a fascinating area to to explore. I I also want to read that book. You know, two things that I'm taking away from this conversation is the role of capitalism or business models in our nostalgia for technology and how Sarah talked about, you know, the fact that I think we're nostalgic for an area of technology when there were no business models. And so we were able Mm -hmm. to imagine what these things could have been. And now it feels like we're kind of locked into a business model or a capitalist destiny, which is something that Grafton touches on in his book. The other thing is just the role of time in how we channel Nostalgia productively. So, you know, Grafton in the book talks a lot about the acceleration of how we experience time. We're not able to fully experience the present. And so, by re experiencing the present later on with the maturity and the life experience that we have, I think that's a really fun way to experience life and something that we shouldn't shy away from. Even though, of course, there's the, you know, the form of nostalgia as escapism, which is probably a less productive use of it. So, I've gained a lot from this conversation. I really want to thank you, Sarah and Grafton, for all that you put into it. Pat and Pat, thanks for joining us. Louise. Thanks for really kind of framing this this whole topic of this month's inquiry. It's been a blast, and I hope the conversation continues.